0: Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in.
1: It's a really simple piece of advice, but if you want to write, then start writing. And that's the most difficult part, in a way, is believing you can put pen to paper. Too much emphasis is placed on talent when actually it's a craft, screenwriting. And just by the very act of having to tell a story, the thing that you're creating is going to be changed. And you have to have enough flexibility to allow for that, that. That's perfectly normal part of the process. You don't have to know the answer, you can just ask the questions.
0: Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. I am so looking forward to introducing you to today's guest, who is the wonderfully talented and equally beautiful screenwriter and producer, Francesca Gardner. She has most recently been in the writer's room for the latest series of the popular tragedy satire, HBO show called Succession, which has won many accolades, including three Golden Globes. Francesca has worked as a co-executive producer on the award-winning Hit British spy thriller television series Killing Eve and has been a writer on His Dark Materials. Previously, she has also worked in the writers' rooms on shows such as Medici, Masters of Florence and The Man in the High Castle. As a screenwriting graduate, she was named UK's hottest new director from the National Film and Television School and is definitely living up to this as she has been the well-deserving recipient of two Emmy nominations winning one for Succession in 2022 in the category of Outstanding Drama Series and was nominated in the same category in 2019 for Killing Eve. I was extremely interested in speaking with Francesca about her experiences as a female in this immensely creative but equally demanding world that is the entertainment industry. I was keen to gain first-hand insights on what it's like, been like for her to be in the position that she finds herself in today, how easy it was for her to get there, and what it would be like for young girls and women to have a voice on the screens of what we see in the media today. So, without further ado, I very excitedly introduce you to and welcome the wonderful Francesca to the Elevate podcast. It is so nice to have you here.
1: How sweet of you, Ramita. I feel very honored that you would have me on this uh, this amazing venture that I've just seen grow and grow and um, inspire so many people.
0: It's such an honor for me to have you here and I'm really excited to draw into your own experiences your personal journey and then see maybe how we can apply that to a wider group of young folks that are aspiring to be maybe similarly creative and and looking to find ways to to use their voice so i'd like to start with all my guests by looking a little bit into what they were like as young people themselves and sort of seeing if there was anything you'd like to share about what words might describe you as a youngster Maybe at school, maybe what how your teachers might might describe you, and then also at home, what your siblings and what your parents might describe you as. Oh
1: wow, I'm really glad that they're not actually here to do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can <laughs> I can fact check. I, I'll go back yeah. and check.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, it depends on the age. I think there are certain things that I've that I've always been. I think like like a like a big swatch. I always had the really unappealing um desire to be top of the class and and you know I feel very strongly aligned with the hermione archetype you know? <laughs> <That's fantastic. laughs> yes which is which is you know it has its its benefits and also has its huge downfall i mean my kudos as a as a social being at school was was not very high but my um my love of learning um was the thing that that made school enjoyable for me.
0: Oh, amazing like it didn't affect your self-esteem because you weren't socially
1: uh I mean it changed it it changed you know, it always does through those those crucial years of sort of 10 to 15 you know I went through it there, there was a big shift in in how I felt um socially uh in terms of my confidence um, I think it's it was for me it was about finding my people um that there was such an important thing um and finding people who weren't who thought the things that I thought were cool um were cool as well and that was about music and it it was a kind of quite an alternative scene I suppose although as I say the word alternative I'm suddenly get pictures of kind of terrible you know goth chokers and you know (laughs) it was more just like (laughs) there there, there may have been a, a couple of terrible choker years but um I think I, I, it, for me, um, the main connection that I had in my friendships and at, at school was about the books I was reading, how much I loved um, the books that I loved and how much I loved the music I loved and and finding people who also valued those things and wanted to be creative in that way. Before, I think it, around the age of sort of uh, 11 and 12, it was just all about whether you're sporty or not. And I'm afraid... I'm afraid
0: <laughs> not your forte. <laughs>
1: they had no chance with... <laughs> they were very much Butterfingers Gardener. Yeah, but then when you start to realise that that music and making music and um can be a, a way of, of I don't know, finding an identity, that was, the, that was the key
0: for me. Yeah, sure. No, I think what I'm hearing is a really lovely theme in terms of A... finding your tribe is important, but you may not always find the tribe. that tribe at the same. It's not the same for everybody and it happens usually later in life and it's good to be a patient, but also be okay in your own skin and enjoy what you love more than trying to fit in or do things that you think you should be doing so that you might be, yeah, accepted. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point and probably one that many of us need reminding of right into adulthood. So
1: absolutely, absolutely. You kind of have to understand that where I was coming from was very peculiar in my school because I had been taken out of school as a nine year old to go and sing in my dad's operas. I had like, I had terms out of school performing Mozart opera, and I wasn't allowed to watch telly at home, and I really very much, and I wasn't allowed to listen to contemporary music because both my parents are classical musicians. So I was completely removed from what would normally be you know I had I, I it was it was quite I give my parents quite a hard time about it now So I'm like what were you thinking yeah you know yeah. sending yeah. me in to this like quite sophisticated prep school so completely ignorant of the yeah. of any kind of of the language that you could use to like make friends and so it took me a while I didn't even know who the Beatles were.
0: Wow absolutely extraordinary I'm trying to imagine what your day-to-day life would have been like because most kids would have genuinely found you confusing and you would have found the same. So tell me then, because this might leads into the next question. You are a family of girls in terms of siblings. Where are you in birth order? And did your parents have the same expectations for all of you? Or was it you were you specifically talented in that area?
1: That's that's I I mean, I wonder, I wonder, because I think one's expectations are so often subconscious. you know for, for them and and they they are not the kind of people who would they're, they're not at all pushy in any way shape or form my parents not at all um, and it they were very sort of liberal and um uh, and didn't really care actually or seem to care about our academic life
0: because you were busy being creative
1: well, no, just because it wasn't really a thing that was focused on. Okay. Um I'm the eldest.
0: Okay. So that that helps. So you are in birth order, you were the first. Exactly.
1: Oh, it has such a huge bearing on your sense of identity, doesn't it? I'm, I'm you can you ask me and I'm afraid I went terribly off topic, but you asked what my sister how my sisters oh, my family would describe me as a, as a child you know, I'm very much the eldest. I am. Um, I don't like the word bossy. <laughs> I'm forthright assertive. I'm assertive. I know what I like and what I don't like. And um, I have a very strong sense of yeah, my own taste, I suppose.
0: I know. Do you often try to inflict that onto your siblings?
1: Horribly. Yeah. Horribly. <laughs> um, it's, it's dreadful. You're the same.
0: Yes, I am. I'm the <laughs> eldest, of, <laughs> eldest of three. And obviously, my opinion is the one that matters. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it can be incredibly, you can speak to this a bit more, but I think it, when it's all girls as well, that might be. Even harder because you're trying to break. So I think with my siblings, we have one of I have one of each. And sometimes the boy being a boy meant that he could kind of escape quicker from it. Just in, And uh, yeah, I don't know if you maybe it was different because you were all girls. And I don't know if the, the absence of male energy was uh, in the siblings was anything that might have informed your kind of decisions as teenagers or not.
1: That's really interesting. I think I was talking about it with my sister earlier today, because I was like, I know I'm going to be asked these questions about what it was to grow up in this very female heavy household. And because my dad is always away touring. Um, so, and, and then when my parents divorced, you know, we stayed with my mom. And so it was very, we were very much in this female energy. And I think it meant that we... Uh, it's hard to know because i i don't know what it is to have a brother, and I don't I don't I mean that's 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 obviously goes without without saying but and whether it was just our specific situation of of the very odd and wonderful and eccentric upbringing that we had whereby we spent long periods of time uh in the countryside not really socializing with other people <laughs> running around feral in the woods and making up you know worlds together um and And how much of it was to do with being in a in quite a theatrical family? So you know, growing up backstage in opera houses and knowing what it is in a wider sense of the word family to be performers or musicians. And that, you know, that is a sort of identity.
0: Would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert, then?
1: I'm very clearly both. Uh, I, I i'm I'm a real Split down the middle, I get lots of energy from being around people, and I need to go and be around people, but I also really, really need my 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 own space too and i'm 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 uh extreme in both of those
0: positions you yeah, interesting, yeah are you would you um I, I used to think I was an extrovert because I drive a lot of energy from other people, and I spend a lot of my job with other children and and, and parents. But the older I'm getting, the more I'm looking back on the time that I love being in my own company, and I'm quite happy. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a sign of middle age, <laughs> getting older. <laughs> or, You're not or... middle age yet, for me to. I don't oh, know. I feel like I'm getting there, but um yeah, it's slightly. It is interesting. I often like asking these questions because I think. Because if you seem to be an outwardly outgoing person, then you're assumed to be an extrovert. But actually, um, I don't actually have that much confidence in being out in public, and, and it sounds so odd, doesn't it? Because it's the job I've got.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm the same. I'm. I'm. I think one of the things. One of the going back to your first question about one of the words I would use to describe myself. I'm scared all the time. And that hasn't gone away. Like I'm, I was, a, I was a very scared, frightened little child, and I am still really fearful of doing the things that I consider to be grown up.
0: But that that's incredible because you had to perform on stage as a young girl and sing, and and what I mean, it it must be, yeah. And do you think that fear was something that you couldn't address with your parents, or something that you just kept to yourself? No, no, um, my. My mum
1: was very clued into my, my. You know, I was evidently very, very
0: frightened. So physically, you could see it on you. Yeah, okay. yeah, for yeah. sure. But,
1: one, but but I loved. I mean, there's it's two different things, isn't it? There's the, the 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 being on the stage bit, which was a bit frightening, but it was also really exciting and fun, and it, it gave me a real love of that buzz of, yeah, I suppose the risk, the the tightrope walk of. Of being in public and doing doing something in public I suppose um and also being seen and recognized real love of that I think that really it has a huge bearing on on my life now I think that experience um but but there's also just the the terror of you know being with your peers and social dynamics and not knowing what to say or you know yeah having it all go frightfully wrong exactly and I know that I never I never like being part of an institution I never like being in I never, although I really like learning and 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 books and things, I never liked being part of an institution where I felt like there were people who were responsible for me or who could never liked authority. Basically, people who who I didn't necessarily trust, who had power over me. I always found that really difficult, and I think that's that's another thing, another reason. me to be a writer too, where I don't have to be in a set office. Yeah,
0: I mean, you're saying so many things here that allude to the career choice and path that you've taken, I suppose. That leads me beautifully onto sort of my questions next about creative writing and possibly your talent uh, versus how much you've worked at something, Um, because you see you obviously have many talents. But how easy was it for you to just... recognise? this <laughs> You do. You have very, very many. loads. I mean, I could talk about it all day. But the one that you're now professionally doing, I wonder, when girls at, sort of in their teenage years, and I'm, I'm with it with my daughter, as you know, who's sort of having to choose GCSEs or having to choose their coursework. Um, how do you know? At or or did you identify? that your escape and you, you, ident- you also mentioned the Hermione character of love for learning. So obviously you've got that lovely curiosity and an innate desire to be a learner. But in terms of channeling that energy, did it come from watching all these things that are happening around you, having this theatrical existence, really, and these amazing parents and all these creative careers and maybe lots of stories to tell and stories to escape into? But tell me how the love for creative writing came about and how you were able to identify that was something you might pursue quite seriously
1: I always had it I always had the the feeling of being absorbed in stories and loving that feeling and I think that that's a total privilege of having parents who told me lots of stories and and had gave me a glimpse into the world of creativity I suppose and that that's very much part of my wider family too on on both sides
0: so oral storytelling about the the just and
1: and uh yeah reading aloud and music just music and story going hand in hand i suppose i started it was it was really aged that that year where we went and performed in the opera that cemented it for me and then after um we were in the marriage of figaro and i was like a little carabino and my sister my younger sister brianie she was also in it she was only 4 and we just hung out backstage and we were also in, we were the only there were there were a couple more kids that who were much younger but basically we were in we were socializing with the cast who were all grown-ups um you know all adults and uh and it was it was amazing um opportunity to spy on people really because if you know anything about being on you know on tour or you know backstage at a theater is that um loads of stuff happens between grown-ups and People think if you're a kid, you can't, you do you, you're, you're unaware of it. But I was just eyes out in stalks and I was fascinated by what was going on. And, and I could just, I could just observe. It, it gave me this position of observation too, as well as being, you know, having to go sing Mozart.
0: Yeah. yeah. But you were developing <laughs> yeah. this kind of investigative journalism. Yeah, style. I, yeah I, I was. was that. Of course. Yeah.
1: And, and then, and I liked the feeling of, um, it sounds kind of lame, but the feeling of seeing how much kudos you got from doing this weird thing of like performing on the stage—not that I got the kudos, but I could see my dad and the 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 um, approval that I got as a result of just having him as my dad, this important conductor as my dad. And I think I had a little a little glimpse of like I don't just want to be somebody's daughter I want to be somebody in my own right a bit too um
0: that's important isn't it that's really nice and then in so carrying on a little bit from that in terms of making your own identity and understanding that that is okay you found something that you've you've kind of caught onto that gives you the spark and gives you this kind of sense of purpose and I know we talk a lot about this in adult world but I think kids at younger and younger ages are starting to have to work out their sense of purpose or understanding their why and you know and I I didn't know at
1: all I didn't know at all no I hadn't I mean that's all in hindsight now well all I knew I was I was a kid who I'd been put in this weird situation and was just you know taking it all in and then when 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 that when that finished, I wanted to recreate it, so I started writing plays um, with music. Really bad. It sounds it's it's as cringy as it sounds. It was so cringy.
0: So cute. So how old were you at this point? Nine, oh. and then
1: ten, and then and then basically bullying my sisters into performing these things. They were mostly based on um Russian fairy tales, and yeah. So and we performed perform them at home. I'd root out old curtains of my mums and turn them into terrible costumes and uh and then bully my sisters into singing my silly little songs and that was that's 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 what I did for kicks
0: I love it but that's just wonderful because a it speaks to the simplicity of what you may or may not have in life to be able to create you know, and, and what comes out of sometimes boredom when someone, what comes out of life, you know, and how you can create your own uh, sense of escape, I think, that you've done and, and what fruitful things can come out of it. You're right, in hindsight, it's easier to do this. But I think sometimes parents in today's modern age, particularly in big cities, feel they've got to, schedule so much in for their children and their their lives are so timetabled that there isn't the space and breathing time for maybe this kind of writing random scripts and, and having your siblings perform them.
1: Oh, it came out of vast boredom. Boredom. Like you wouldn't believe those long stretches. Remember how long the summers used to be? The summer holidays used to just be endless. And I, we, <laughs> my sisters and I were just, that's what we, that's what we had to do.
0: There's something to be said about that, isn't there, though? I wish I I think we maybe need to go and revisit some of this old times because I think now that if the Wi Fi is off, the summers are almost impossible. (laughs) It is really hard for parents. And I think there's fear around getting leaving children bored for too long. But I think that actually this is such an encouraging conversation and such a refreshing take on allowing kids that space and that ability and then giving them that opportunity to find their why through the boredom because they will they will find creative I'll ways will find
1: it they will find it now I get it I feel it with my I I am already feeling it with Eliza my daughter
0: really now, oh my gosh. Now, now, yeah
1: how many how much time do I need to leave her just to be in her own little imagination
0: sure know? yeah no I mean I remember because I had my daughter in in New York City and She was absolutely from yoga baby to music classes to (laughs) her naps being scheduled. She was a scheduled baby. And I'm not sure that it did. And I don't know where it came from, if it was just an innate thing that I kind of consumed by all the other mothers around me. I don't even know where it came from. But certainly as a teacher and and, and now as a parent of an older daughter than yours, I, I do look back and think we would have benefited from just being bored like it's okay (laughs) it wouldn't have been such a bad thing but yeah yeah I I do I I suppose that is food for thought for any of our listeners who are just about to embark on parenthood possibly uh to to think about the idea of scheduling boredom oh maybe that's the way to do it absolutely
1: just ignore your children basically just leave them leave them alone for long stretches because (laughs)
0: Um, So I alluded to the fact in the in the introduction that I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, female representation and gender inequality, which is obviously a huge topic um, in many industries, but particularly in the entertainment industry, I think on and off screen from gender pay gaps to representation. The whole works um i was reading in my research for today i was reading from the writers guild of great britain um they said something like 16 percent of working film writers in the uk are female and only 14 percent of prime time tv is female written so now that's the uk in the states it's not that much different i think it's about a third of movie writers in the united states are women and um this is actually the highest percentage it's ever been within the timeline of of you know movie writing and screenwriting, and I guess I really wanted to pick your brains on this really and 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 ask you if you think the industry is doing enough or is it doing anything to change and support more female writers, directors, producers to be more prominent, or what is your take on all of this?
1: When I started in the industry over ten years ago, being knowing what I wanted, knowing I wanted to be a screenwriter. And seeing how rare it was that my experience or any experience that I could recognize as female was a rarity on screen it made me furious. It made me baffled and furious and sort of galvanized me. It galvanized me. Um, and when I started, I was I was lucky enough to to have the mentorship of a brilliant um uh, writer called Frank Spotnitz and he uh, allowed me to sit in on a writer's room and uh, you know as a as a junior junior runner tea maker.
0: But were these were these rooms made mostly male at that time when you first started?
1: Uh, with Frank he was very one of the things that he insisted upon was that there was a uh, an equal split between men and women in in I mean that's that he said that that was the ideal for a writer's room, but certainly I knew that that was unusual, very no, okay. unusual. Okay. Okay. And you know when you're pitching story, and your what you have to go on is your own experience, and you're uh, you know you you learn very quickly that the thing that the pitches that go well are the ones that have integrity behind them, and that integrity often comes from your, one's own experience and. Um, even if you're melding it and molding it to, to to some completely different genre or you know whatever you've you've got this it's it's one of the wonderful things I think about being a writer is that you know the longer you live, the more experience the more of your experience you have the, you you are uh, you're always being refreshed and replenished about from your experiences and and I just found that it was much more difficult to get a pitch away if it was. From the perspective of a girl and that because i think i'm so used to um and i think that this is true of maybe of i you know maybe it's not true anymore of a younger generation but um our media is so full of the male perspective that we as women or at least this is how i feel i feel like i immediately or can automatically jump into the perspective of a Uh, Of a sort of maybe maybe not um, accurately correctly, but I feel like it's much easier for me to plonk myself into the character of a male protagonist uh, than potentially it is for the reverse to happen for a um, male writer to write from a female point of view. Just because we're so bombarded, we're so skewed um, the other way and um and that's that's I think I find that interesting and even if I, as I'm saying it as even as I'm saying it, I'm I'm thinking I wonder how much of that is true now um I still I still think it is true if I'm if I'm honest I thought I still think it is true but I do think it is it's changed the certainly the desire to have more female voices to have uh, and to tell uh female-centered stories and to have you know and to to find a female director for a movie, all of these things I've seen a radical shift in, in the years that I've been working in the industry. And it hasn't not gone nearly far enough, but I am very heartened by the progress that is, or at least by the um, intention to change. Um, and it's not, it's not going to change overnight and it's not changing fast enough, for sure, absolutely true. But, um, I, my career and my experience has been inextricably tied up with this momentum to find better representation of female voices um, in both behind the screen and and on the screen. And I I, I feel it's a it's a complicated thing because I feel both grateful that I live in a time when that is happening, but I'm also like, why should I be grateful? This is how it should be, and and I'm quite certainly. I always had the the grassroots of of a sort of feminist um inclination as a even though it was deeply uncool in the in the nineties to to ever mention that kind of thing. I, I have a very strong feminist mum who has always told me that I could be whoever I want to be. Being in the industry made me a rabid feminist and made me very angry. And I've had some very um infuriating experiences where I felt treated very differently and that is just the way it is um, unfortunately but you know even as I say that's just the way it is it isn't it it should never be that way and I feel a certain amount of responsibility to keep pushing and and to, to tell stories that have resonances Hopefully, beyond beyond gender too.
0: Yes, exactly. exactly. That, that,
1: that, that there is a risk too with too much focus on this is a woman's story, this is a man's story. That that then you you per, you perpetuate.
0: Sure, you want is to move towards human human stories. <clears throat> exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and I, I I do hear what you're saying, and I also get the same feeling. With I know it's she's one famous Hollywood actress, and hopefully there are many others. But Hello mm-hmm. Sunshine, uh, which is uh, started by Reese Witherspoon and, and does focus a lot on novels and stories that have been written by females that she then makes into uh, series and dramas. And, and and they are, you know, it feels like that has resonated so much with so many because the, the compelling nature of these stories in itself is probably something we were hungry for because we've been missing them for so long for so long
1: and it seems completely mad doesn't it when you look at the stats those stats that you were talking about those it seems mad to me particularly when you think about how the the, the nuance and the fast I just think that um the experience of motherhood for example is is so it, it's so um it seems to be explored much more now on screen but it's still we don't it's still just the tip of the iceberg where a character isn't a female character isn't the love interest or the you know the, the totty and the. it's just
0: i know and then we can take it to a whole different level when we start talking about cultural uh, nuances and and you know how little colored women of color you know I mean that, that and, or, or exactly. if they are portrayed what stereotypes and you know I think if I speak to another another Indian uh, actor who is uh, striving to become you know to to work in the field of, of film or in or media it's, you know it's just is infuriated because they're tired of being typecast, or the doctor, or the you know the the, the uh, runaway child that wants to marry someone non-Indian. It's just all too much, and I think that we yes, hopefully conversations such as this one will will keep opening eyes and keep getting others in the field. To, and, and particularly, I suppose you're in there, you're doing driving that change. You're in that world at the moment. Although I, I sense a real sense of frustration at times. What would you say are the greatest frustrations, or what? What costs or do you find come with the work that you do?
1: There are plenty of them. It's a really simple piece of advice, but if you want to write, then, then start writing, and and that's the most difficult part in a way is believing that you can put pen to paper or cursor to um yeah, screen, <laughs> yes, screen. <laughs> to, um, to to begin, and that I think I had an idea that in order to be a writer to to take on the mantle of identity as writer I had to have something really important to say and I I don't have something some big important message to say I I realized the best piece of advice I was given as a young writer was you you don't have to know the answer you can just ask the questions so your work can just be full of questions you can just pick a topic and 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 ask some questions about it. Raise some questions. You don't have to know all of the answers. And I think it's so tempting to think that you have to know that there's this big message that you have
0: to impart. That might just feed into the whole imposter syndrome thing as well then, right? Mm. If you're constantly thinking you've got to solve something. But actually, if you're rephrasing that narrative and saying you're actually just posing questions.
1: You can just pose a question. That's
0: really, that's so empowering. I love that piece of advice.
1: It immediately makes it feel more doable because, you can think, oh, I do have questions about that. I don't necessarily know what I think about that. Sometimes I write something and I don't even know what I think about it until I've reached the end of writing about it. And it can be enough because drama is conflict. It can be enough to have two characters who are, who are at odds over a, a topic. You know, you do, it doesn't have to be a polemic what you're writing. It doesn't have to come down with full weight on one side or the other. It can just be like, what would this character think about this? And what would they say to another character who thinks who thinks the opposite um and that, that can be a really fun place to start from and and it feels less intimidating than the big thing the big message that you have to say finding the joy in the in in if it's writing if it's writing that you want to do finding the joy in it so that it's not always about the the, the end product um being perfect you know, that it's, I I slaved at film school, I slaved over this movie script, because it was the big thing I was writing, and it needed to somehow encapsulate this awful thing that people ask you about your voice, Uh, it it needs to encapsulate your voice, and it was going to get me an agent or not, and I put so much pressure on myself to write this one thing, and then actually, I wish I just told a story, like it can just, you can just tell a story, it doesn't have to sum up, your entire life, or, you know, encapsulate everything that you think about something. Just tell a simple story, tell a story, and then tell another story. And it won't be as good as you you imagine it in your head.
0: Yes, I, and I and I think, again, taken by the refreshing nature of this conversation, although I feel sitting on my sort of teacher side of life, that aren't teachers and markers of of your work and your creativity. I know writing is so subjective, so it can be really painful to get something back that you've poured your whole heart and soul into and see all this red mark on it or maybe whatever colour ink that they might use. But that's besides the point, my point being that how do you balance that? Critiquing is such a strong word, but that it is constructive feedback possibly that comes from when your work is so scrutinized. So, I
1: suppose the big thing for me learning to be a writer and taking on the thing of this is who I want to be felt well, intimidating. I needed my writing to be, at that point, to be in a space where I didn't have, it just needed to, it, there needed to be writing on a page or on a screen. And so, at that point, I didn't want any feedback, any outside feedback at all. It was just the, the relationship between me and what was, and the page. For me, it was about confidence—that knowing that I could produce something. I know I want to be a writer. What? What? What have you written? Oh well, n- nothing really. You know. <laughs> um, so I, I think I'm, to, I'm to, speaking to the people who are who want to be writers who think they might have an interest in in writing, but don't feel like they have anything to say and uh, aren't writing. Please write and try and write in the most unfiltered. Keep that gremlin, that critical gremlin, off your shoulder. That critical gremlin is very pronounced for me and i do a, in order for me to make anything of value i have to ignore that gremlin for a, for a while
0: do you have any exercises or do you have actual visualization ways that you try and say goodbye to the gremlin or
1: i refer to my first draft of anything as the vomit draft and it doesn't have to be pretty it just has to be because once you've got the words and once you've got something you can you can start to make it better, but if you're if you're constrict, it's so constricting, feeling like it has to be this beautiful thing, this perfect thing that you're that you're birthing. Uh, you can end up paralysed, completely paralysed, and never doing any writing. So, so yes, there's a, there's a time to let constructive criticism is the most it, it helps you be a better writer to have other people tell you what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and as a screenwriter. One of the big challenges is 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 notes and and how to how to tackle the notes process and when to when to change what you're doing as you know, from somebody else's prompting and when to push back. And that's it, there's an art in 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 learning that. And I, I'm you
0: know I'm still learning that that's amazing because that was kind of my next question is how much of your creative process of soul searching or looking for the, content that comes into your writing is directed or guided by your own instincts and how much of it then is is something that you've got to then take direction from others for and is that a constant battle for you
1: yeah 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 absolutely because you have to be sensitive enough to in order to, to, to do a good job at conveying emotion it's what you're really trying to do as a writer Certainly, what I'm trying to do as a screenwriter is I'm trying to put emotion onto the pages. I'm trying to structure emotion and get it, get the feeling of catharsis and, and connect. You know, and you have to be really sensitive in your antennas to know that you're doing to do that basically. And and it makes you like a little shellless prawn, you know. And then and then, but in order to be commercial, in order to it's no good just i mean it's totally fine to stay in your little shed and and just write things that nobody else sees, and maybe that's totally fulfilling and fine, but um in order to make a living and also to 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 get that 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 piece of work out there, you know you want the input from other people, and so you have to open the doors and allow the little the, this little flame that you've created to be um exposed to to you know criticism. And that's, and that it's really hard. It's really hard. And I don't know any writer who finds it easy. Um, But I do know that the more you do it, the more you have creative dynamics with people where you're collaborating, it can be the most fantastic, enlivening process, sharing an idea, feeding an idea, growing the idea. You know, I'm sure you feel that as as a teacher.
0: Well, I love seeing it in the children's minds. I love seeing that light bulb go off if they kind of come up with a character or a story, idea, even in something small. as Yeah, I, I do think that's a wonderful journey to to be on the receiving end of and then seeing the finished product or reading what they're, what happens to their, their ideas is, is always really fantastic. I suppose you've hit on a really, another kind of cost, I would say, of, of being in the field that you're in, which is creative is because it's your baby. And like you said, you've got to let that little flame in that light like the analogy you use and you've got to let people um grow it or it becomes something bigger so that your your ideas are heard but i suppose along with that until the idea is nurtured and and ready to take off there are and it's easy for us to sit down today because i'm looking at your your lovely list of accolades and i'm thinking or anyone listening to this might be yes it worked out for her and you know she's written with on killing eve and she's got you know fantastic awards for her extremely wonderfully talented work but i don't think it's come and i think we have to highlight because i do know you a little bit personally the intense amount of work and sacrifice and dedication and energy you've poured into the career to build this for yourself. But that includes hours of um, hard work that might then be rejected. And I wanted to talk to you about getting these knocks or setbacks and rejection. And I don't like the word failure because I think the connotation of failure is always negative. But if we start to use failure as a something, you know, woo, an opportunity and we celebrate it I know it's easier said than done but if we could start changing what that word represented by hearing stories like yours I would love to know if you have any thoughts on that and you could share that with our listeners
1: oh I mean if you knew the work that goes into making even the most m- mediocre television you know the the, um, <laughs> the drafts and drafts and drafts and drafts the rewriting you now I don't think I've written episode of tv that hasn't had less than 16 drafts which is you know that's a lot of trees to be cut
0: down for <laughs> whatever episode she says that she's sitting in her tree house um, but for those of us that can't see who are listening to this audio i'm sitting with uh, francesca who is in lovely where are you where are we in the i'm in
1: wiltshire i'm in be- the beautiful west country near stonehenge
0: amazing and she's sitting in her home office which is a treehouse of all things it's amazing it's amazing I mean if that isn't going to persuade you to get yourself into this career I don't know what <laughs> it but that sounds just blissful yeah so you were saying I mean the hours that you spend in that treehouse maybe writing things that then have to be rewritten and rewritten is the word resilience the one that comes to mind yes, in terms resilience of
1: and tenacity I mean I remember my Lovely Frank Spotnet's saying that you need tenacity more than anything. That's what he says in his brilliant screen photo talk. So I'm just gonna copy him. He says more than more than talent, what you need is tenacity. And I and I think I think that is true. I think I think maybe too much emphasis is placed on talent when actually it's a craft, screenwriting, and a lot of creative work is. And just by the, the very act of having to tell a story and structure it and adjust it each time for a different purpose. You know, adjust it for the people who are financing it, adjust it for the channel that it's going to be on, adjust it for the t- for the actor who has a different idea of who the character is, adjust it for the director who wants to involve a motorcycle in a sequence. You know, that it's like there are so many ways the thing that you're creating is going to be changed, and you have to have enough flexibility to allow for that. That that's perfectly normal part of the process. If you're too rigid about it, you will not do well. <laughs> so you have to you have to be flexible. But also, in order for it to be good and for it to keep its artistic integrity, it's rather highfalutin for me to use those terms. But it's in order for it to keep its the thing that makes it good, the the, the spark of the idea in the first place. You also have to be protective of it as well, and so you have to. Know, you, and that you learn by doing. You learn by doing it, and I think that's the the great privilege of my life so far is that I've had the opportunity to see things be produced by people who are so much more brilliant than me, and by learning that through them, it's improved my writing. Do it, writing improves writing, and that's and that's why it's the sim. It's the simplest. And the most difficult thing is that in order to be a writer, you need to write.
0: There is an attitude and a mindset that comes along with trying to achieve your goals. So the flexibility, the not being rigid with your thought processes, I suppose, problem solving, working with others and conflict resolution, which are all skills that actually tie in beautifully with the Elevate Mentorship Program. But the skills that I really feel sometimes are lacking in our sort of formal educational settings. And then you're thrown into the workplace and you think you're a success because you've been chosen by the best universities or you've been, you know, nominated for lots of other things. But then you're in the actual workplace and you don't have this ability to be able to problem solve with other people or have or, or, or being, I guess, a team player. Because I know part of your job is very isolated and you're on your own. But then you like you said, when you're in these writers rooms, it must take a lot of patience.
1: Being in writers rooms. Is the best possible experience that you can have as a creative person, as any actually. It would do anyone good, to be honest with you, because it's all about group dynamics. And there's a there's a unsp- sometimes it's a very overt hierarchy, sometimes it's an unspoken hierarchy about when how much you should you you should offer up um to a conversation, when when to shut up. Ultimately, you're serving the showrunner. You're you're serving the person. I mean, I love the American system of writing television, whereby. The person who's who the writer is the big boss. So that the person who has originated the idea normally is the person to whom everyone else looks to for for, for authority and it's different in the UK industry. And I've had my frustrations with the UK industry because of that reason. But also it's a different system. uh, It has other benefits.
0: So what happens in the UK system?
1: In the UK system, uh, you don't have a showrunner, although that term is being used um, now. Um, you don't have a showrunner, it tends to be the creative producers who are um, in charge and the writer is brought in like the director to to, to serve a function.
0: So even, even in that example in itself, two Western worlds, culturally different and have a completely different style possibly in which you have to be flexible enough to understand how to navigate those things for yourself. Yeah. And that these are important skills because I think some people think, well, I'm going to be a writer because I can't work with I don't want to work with anyone else, but actually you are still, it's a quite, there's a lot of teamwork involved. It is. It is.
1: I mean, there are, I think there is a, to the extent that there there is you can have a, be a writer, I think, and, and create a persona around you where you can't, you, you know, you're just the creative. You're just, you're just, you're mad creative in your ivory tower. And (laughs) that, that works for some people. Some people don't like to be so involved in the production side of things and You know, and and it works for them to just write a script and then send it out and see what happens.
0: And as you've just come back from Los Angeles not that long ago, it feels so fitting to congratulate you here as well on being the recipient of an Emmy for your work on Succession. And I thought it might be fitting to share a short clip with your audience A very small snippet of the brilliance of your work, coming up. Please. Please? Please. The seat sniffer gets a leg up. That's a deal. What have you got in your hand? What have I got? I don't know. Love? Love?
1: You come for me with love. You bust him here, guns in hand. And now you find they've turned to sausages. You talk about love?
0: You should have trusted me. Dad, why? Why? Because it works. I win.
1: Yes. The succession thing. I feel, I feel the succession thing. I'm such a small part of that show. I'm lucky enough to be in that writer's room. And I I think it's full of some of the most brilliant writers that I've ever
0: met. That's the humble side of Francesca talking. I'm really grateful that you've got this humility in you, but you have worked. and, And I can say this because on the, as an observer of your time and energy, even while I lived in Singapore, You know, I know how hard you work and your work ethic and discipline is absolutely, you know, it it is incredible to see that. There's so much I want to talk to you about in terms of balancing your career and now being a young mother yourself as well, because you have a young daughter of two and you've been so busy, obviously, with the world of motherhood and what that brings. What well, the thing
1: that I hadn't imagined or I hadn't realized was how much headspace being a mum was going to take. The, the, the Parenting, but having, I thought naively, stupidly, that if I, if I, as long as I had, you know, I've got great family around me. I've got lots of help. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide. Her. You know, I've got a full-time nanny and I had a night nurse and I had, you know, I had a C-section. I had a you know I, I was all set up to do it to, to facilitate ease around it and it was still a complete experience yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. one
1: where one yeah. where I, I I hadn't realized how much of my identity and of my mind and of that precious place that I go to 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 work really to I'm not just it's not really work it's it's me noodling around in my brain that that space was going to be taken up and I think that's the thing that I'm still finding a challenge but that has gotten easier for sure you know if I I wish I could go back a year and tell myself that it was going to get easier from that point of view because and um
0: because you, when you're in it, you think this is never ending. You think it's <laughs> never ending, funny, and I think yeah.
1: I brought all sorts of funny expectations to—not funny expectations, but certain expectations to what it was going to feel like to be a mother. Um, that 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 were different to how to, to have when they when they arose, and um, and I found it really, I, and I continue to find it a real challenge to um, to know what the correct course of action is when I'm so split and um, you know I I feel my focus has been compromised quite honestly
0: yeah you you said you had your family net support and you had a network of people but what was it like in terms of the workplace where you supported as because that's I know in finance and lots of other industries lots of women are just finding it tough to go back to work once they choose motherhood because there just isn't the support they need to keep working
1: yeah, I I think I just um, been uh, taken on by HBO when uh, I found out I was pregnant, and so I had um, I was I was working for HBO, and I have a wonderful team. I really love my agent and my lawyer and my agents, I should say. Um, my US agents and my UK uh, agents. They're 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 all brilliant and sensitive and and great women, and. Um, it's one of those annoying conundrums, I think, for women that just as I'm getting to the point in my career where I'm able to do work that put much more of myself in and that, that really excites me, uh, and I don't want to compromise on that because I've worked so hard to get where I, where I'm where I am. But at the same time, is that going to come at the cost of me bonding with my baby because I'm having to, you know, express milk in another room while I write a script? I, there is no right answer for it and it's a hard one and I and I I just wish there was a particularly I'm I was sort of horrified by particularly the states it's a wider cultural issue um I think I've i I felt very supported by my team and I felt I feel very very lucky that I'm with a uh, company as um sort of forward thinking as HBO because I, I think I think I think if I were in another industry I would find it much more difficult but partially I think it's as a writer, I can write from anywhere. So I could write from, you know, and sometimes I do, from my bed, I'm surrounded by biscuits and, you know, I, I don't, it's not like I had to be in the office, but.
0: No, I think we're all, we're at a kind of a, at a sort of cultural reckoning a little bit, aren't we, of all of this change and we're just on the cusp of it. And I think we are, at least people are voicing these concerns. I know Melinda Gates and I know Indra Nui and, and things, uh, there. are like lots of, I think, Ranjani Sujani and, and Girls Who Code, she's, Trying to bring the, the U.S. system, it is definitely more prominent there. I'm, I'm sure it exists in lots of places. But but yeah, I think you're right on, on, on that front of, of getting it right. But acknowledging it's hard is, is probably important and seeking support. And like you said, if you're fortunate enough to be able to call on friends or get full time help or whatever it is you need to do, to 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 make sure you're fulfilled uh, because that's important you're a better mother if if you yourself are looked after and you're channeling the energy you want with with yourself professionally and obviously as a mom it's it's a tough one i i salute you i do it's it's a tough one for lots of us going back to the show you were talking a little bit about succession and i wanted and then obviously killing eve is another one that i think the importance of mental health and some of these characters that are created. They're so um well you couldn't you wouldn't say that you know they're all that relatable, but there's some quite terrible people <laughs> but unique ways, right? And and maybe they're capable of making you laugh, they make you cry, actually sometimes you cringe but you still can't look away. You know, you're so invested in these characters. And I wonder where, and, and I did listen to Brian Cox, I think I mentioned to you, a speaker at a conference recently, and he does say the reason that maybe the success of some of these shows, Succession being one of them, is because this is one of the first times we're really exposing the characteristics of people and families that, Lots of us like to hide, and the shame that comes with maybe having the people pleaser child, or you know, or that these each of these personality types are genuinely quite relatable. But how do you? What, how important is it for you as a writer to include villanelle style characters into your into your script? Like, how do you do that, and how does it? How do you make it okay?
1: It's it's funny because there was such there was such a culture for a while of. Particularly with female characters, how to make them likable. You have to be likable because you know you're looking for ways. Or if you're selling a script, if you're selling a story, the people you're selling it to want to know that you that the story is going to grip people. You know, it's going to grip an audience. You want to you want them to be in and alongside them and and experiencing what they experience as as fast as possible. And that's why you, very often at the beginning of shows you have your hero. It's called the save the cat moment, right? It's the you know about save the cat. It's a, which is a classic screenwriting book. You have your character, your main character, do something to make them likable, like save the cat from a tree, you know, and you have that happen early, early on to show that they are a good person who you, as the audience, can you can align yourself with because they're going to be great and you're on this ride together. And that was such such a classic question to be asked as a screenwriter about your script. How, you know it's, are they likable enough? and it's it's very gendered that, that particularly the female characters would be like that. So it was wonderful working on Killing Eve, where Villanelle is so deliciously evil um, and and with 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 sort of no no holes bars, really, no barriers to that to that to that. And I feel like succession has it it's interesting that you point that out because yeah, they. Again, and even, even actually with, with Eve, with Killing Eve is that she's got, you know, just allowing people, allowing, to, allowing us to see people beyond a heroic
0: archetype. And here sharing a very short clip from Killing Eve that depicts one of these characters beautifully. I came here to tell you that you don't have anything to worry about. I've forgiven Eve. We're friends. Well, more than friends, what, actually. What are you talking about? Nico. Your colleagues. Besides, I've been stabbed before. I know what it's like when you're in the moment. She stabbed you. Didn't she tell you?
1: She came to my apartment in Paris. And she lay down next to me in my bed. She stuck a knife in me. Stop it. Look. Look. It's crazy, right?
0: You would think I was the bad guy. Or that nobody has to be inherently good or inherently bad that's a mix of both and that's a new topic like a new way of watching television for me because I always I always want to be on someone's side but you, you I can't do that with succession and I certainly couldn't with you know Sandra O's character or Jodie Cromer's character was very difficult to to feel who who you aligned with.
1: Exactly and and it can create a distance it can create like this gap between you can admire it and but there isn't it, yeah, do you think about the the things that move you the most? They tend to be the ones where you're aligned totally. But but I think with some with a show like Succession or Killing Eve, what 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 is there instead is the the quality of the characters and the the. I can say this. I, I feel like I can say this with Succession because I you know I'm 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 in the writers' room, um, pitching ideas. But I I was a fan of the show before I was, you know I'm I'm, I'm very aware. That I'm still a, like a massive fangirl of the show, um, and I think the writing is brilliant. And I think that Jesse and the other other writers in the room are geniuses. And so I think that because the the, the comedy is and the wit and the and the characters uh, characterization is so sharp, it allows you 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 want to you you feel and it, it makes you feel clever to that show. It makes you it, it, because it's it's in this very rarefied world. It makes you feel smart watching it. Um, and I think that's the thing that replaces the um like, like likeability and and allows it to still be um, uh, to to feel close and and love it.
0: Um, No, it's a huge kudos to all of you that work on these wonderful things and bring them onto the screens for us because we're so lucky to be at the receiving end of this fantastic, you know, things you can just devour, you know, night after night and and be excited by. So thank you. We we need more people like you out there doing what you're doing. And what is next for you, Francesca? What can we expect um, going forward? I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or there's anything you can give us. um,
1: I'm hoping to. I've written the pilot for my own TV show. And I'm really hoping that um, that we can move forward with it. We'll see. We shall see. I'm really excited about it.
0: Um, okay, well, let's manifest it. Let's, let's manifest the energy let's, let's out let's there. Manage. I can't wait. Yes, definitely. <laughs>
1: we'll see. But then, then, if, if you praise me for that, then I feel like I can take. I would be able to take some kudos for that. But, but, but honestly, with the with the, yeah, I I have I a huge amount of what I purports to be my success is. Part of it is a lot of graft, a lot of graft, as you say. Uh, doing, you know, shows that are much less glamorous, and then, and then, a lot of it is is, is has been the luck of being uh, alongside some some really incredible people.
0: Um, yeah, of course. So. No, it's a combination, but you know, credit where credit is due. And my last and final question for you, Francesca, is: Who are your role models and why?
1: When I think about when I have. Written, big decisions to make and you, at work I, I think about people my my mum has the most extraordinary earthness she's she's completely rooted she's so grounded um she's she's incredibly kind and kindness is the center of her being and she's very uh emotionally uh intuitive and sensitive and so that I think she's she's my sort of north star in terms of my behavior and then and and when I and a lot of the times what I need actually is galvanizing like there is sometimes I need to stand up for myself sometimes I need to be brave and I think about there are two people in my life I think about uh, when I need to do that I think about um, my dad and I think about how sure he is of his artistic vision, his musical vision for something, and how, and, and when he knows what is right, he just says it, and he isn't afraid to say it, and I find that really inspiring, and the other person I think about is, is, is Romilly, my, um, my partner's um, sibling, um, who I witnessed when they were very uh, young, um, negotiate a a, um, career in the music industry, and I remember seeing them and and I was I was there when when they went into you know these high powered meetings when and I thought that is amazing that this person who wouldn't necessarily be listened to by a group of music industry you know tycoons yeah hycoons, <laughs> yeah uh, was was they were all so impressed um, by Romley and that, and so Romilly is another person I think
0: of bye bye i'm totally inspired by everything you've just said francesca and i i think everything you do and everything you've just shared are all things for us to think about and to gain so much insight from and i couldn't agree with you more i mean i do know a little bit about your mom and the person that she's because of all the things that you do to talk about her, so I hope one day she'll come back on the podcast, and maybe we'll get maybe we'll get Romilly Vaughn as well. <laughs> that would yeah, be great. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know what a busy person you are, so thank you for everything you've shared today, and I wish you so much success. Huge congratulations once again on the success you've already had, and I may it long may it last. And that's everything from us today. Thank you to all of you for joining in and being part of these very important conversations. I hope you will continue to support our cause by sharing the podcast to raise awareness with others. If you get a moment and could rate and review the podcast, I would also be hugely grateful. I'd like to extend a very big thank you to Ryan Prestepino from the Pine Studios for all the hard work that he does to help me bring this podcast to all of you. Until next time, stay well and speak soon. Bye for now.